Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit. This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. All right, we are back in the Detroit is Different studios. It's another uh, cold day, but uh, we keep this thing moving no matter what, and we definitely warming up. Today I got the exchange in full effect in the Detroit is Different studios. The exchange, uh, young black entrepreneurs coming together, offering people a taste of uh, good food, also uh, specialty as they call them, craft beverages, but really just a, a master bartender and a master chef, both at bay, both at hand, young black entrepreneurs, love these dudes, um, and you guys need to connect with them too. Justice, Devontae, how y'all feeling? Feeling yeah. good, man. Feeling good. Yeah, we up in here. All right, see, that's that classic young black male uh, perspective. So we're going to get them uh, talking a little bit more as we're about to pour Starting off a, a classic, an uh, older Tupac Shakur's All Eyes on Me release. We all drinking Hennessy tonight. Uh, the, the cognac region is in full effect along with us drinking water. Because if you're going <laughs> to drink liquor, I think water should go hand in hand with it. Uh, be responsible and don't be crazy out here. So uh, they about to uh, bless their bottle in classic African-American fashion, uh, the bartender Justice. And uh, he's actually one of the bartenders that has touched down and worked in many of these new uh, restaurants that are seen in and around not just Detroit, but nationally as like the the places setting trends and, and, and being uh, what's making Detroit, quote unquote, come back and be hip. And a lot of these specialty beverages are things that have been crafted and put together by this gentleman that's uh, pouring. He's also uh, of uh, direct African roots. And along with African roots, a football player, Wayne State, um, champion with Wayne State, and uh, one of one of the homies of all time, and Devontae. Uh, hopefully you've had the opportunity to see what he can do with food. Uh, very, very talented, adding flavor in different ways, uh, especially like when we think about what's happening in our community about being able to add flavor without using too much salt and sodium as salts and sugars are causing all types of epidemics in our community. Uh, we know the, the big three of type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease all are closely associated with what's happening and uh, what you're eating. So making sure you got a chef that has a understanding about how to cut foods and season foods and prepare them where it's not going to kill you is a hell of a benefit. So with that running start, the friendship, the business, how did it all start? How did you guys meet and why are you guys working together? Uh, well, uh, the friendship and the business it all actually started with Justice's vision uh he and my brother actually both played together at Wayne State, as you mentioned. And uh, he got into the industry. A couple years later, he found out about this pop-up. So with people basically, you just do a pop-up restaurant. You put some food out, some drinks out, and make some dough. Well, he had a chef that kind of flaked on him last minute, used his resources. Who do I know who can cook? Oh, damn, my boy's brother cooks. He, so he called me. He's like, yo, do you still cook? And I was like, yeah, I do. And uh, we literally, like, two hours later linked up. 
came up with a whole concept for our first uh, pop-up that we did, which was last year. And, uh, I mean, came up with a whole four-course, four-pairing cocktails. Um, I think he was thinking more of, like, the pop-up he did before on some, like, I'm going to pour some dope drinks and we're going to give them chicken tenders. Where mm-hmm. I was like, well, no, nah, like, let's take it to another level and hit him with a steak, four-course steak dinner. He's like, bet. He was with it. Mm-hmm. And um, thus, the, down for a steak dinner. The, exchange was, uh, the exchange was born, man. Okay, so let's talk about this whole concept of uh, fine dining and craft cocktails. As you've seen it, uh, you've actually poured at some heavyweight places. I remember when I saw you guys at the Great Ghost. Uh, shout out to my man Coleman. That's my homie, too. <laughs> and uh, I sat in there just in support of y'all. And, you know, it's, I, and following y'all, it's, it's been a couple times where I've uh, that expense is gone. And just getting a drink and getting some food, I, I swear that expense is gone uh, over a hundred plus. You know what I'm saying? And I'm yeah. just going in there by myself. So, yeah, what is happening when it comes to like uh, this Detroit movement of all these restaurants that just are popping up, like the Republic and uh, all of this dining and this dining renaissance is happening throughout Detroit? And you being a bartender, a part of it, because it's also a big part of the nightlife thing. Yeah. Um Basically, it's like a um, like a big boom over the last couple of years. I've only been in the restaurant industry for a couple of years. But I mean, when I moved out here in 2010, I, there wasn't a lot of these restaurants out here. And I can remember places that I saw where there wasn't anything going on. Where now there's these big, big name restaurants or whatever. When I started working at, you know, uh, at the distillery, I started meeting a lot of people and they ended up, you know, they were working as bartenders or chefs and now they have their own restaurants or they were doing pop-ups and now they have their own concepts and everyone's kind of branching out and doing their own thing. There's been a lot of people coming in from like, you know, Chicago. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on that's, you know, pretty much organic. And um, people have just been doing some really innovative stuff and I think the cocktail stuff really helped out a lot and it's kind of pretty much turned into its own thing where, um, you know, people are starting to consider Detroit the cocktail capital now. I've heard that multiple times. Okay, so when you talk about the cocktails in, the, in this industry, um, you know, we, we got to go direct. A lot of this definitely, it ain't a lot of black folks in a lot of these places. And that's in nah. a lot of these discussions uh, over, like, what's happening in the city? Are we still welcome? And you're one of the black faces that actually works at some of the these restaurants, some of these bars. What's that experience like? And then... Um, you know, is it a different taste and sensibility that you think that often is associated with, um, you know, black folks seeking that fine dining experience versus non-black folks? Yeah. Um, basically, I mean, a lot of the stuff that's been opening up has is pretty much been, you know, staffed and restaurants are being patronized mainly by people that aren't from, you know, from Detroit, don't live out here. So you don't see a lot of us. Um, you know, you don't you don't see a lot of us really being involved in terms of ownership or, you know, just just working. You come in and uh, a lot of times you you don't necessarily feel. I don't want to say you don't feel welcome, but when you don't see a lot of people that look like you, you're gonna feel less comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not necessarily against anybody. That's just kind of what it is. Uh, so that's kind of part of what we wanted to do is, you know, because we go to these places. It's not like black people don't go to these places, but it's not. You know, a whole there's not a whole bunch of them where you're gonna see a lot of us working and 
and knowing and knowing these things. If you want to go to mm-hmm. a place where you're gonna see a bunch of African Americans working and running it, you are going to you know it's not gonna be at it's not gonna be at most of these places and and they're not really doing the same these things. But I just happen to be into it, into this you know crab cocktail scene, and I learned it. And it's it's really just I mean it's I don't even know how to explain. It. It's just not a lot of. It's just not a lot of us doing it, pretty much what you said. It really has created mm-hmm. an opportunity, and people aren't used to seeing us doing it. They come to our stuff, they, don't, they ain't used to seeing two young African-Americans that have it together the way they do at these places that they would go mm-hmm. and expect to spend the type of money that you was talking, talking about. about it, yep. Yeah. All right, so, like, um, even exploring that, and you touched on the distillery, and that's one of the places that we do see, actually, uh, I would say that the the crowd can be like you'll go one night and it's primarily black people in there, yeah. and there'll be white people in there, and then it'll be young people, it'll be old people. It's like a mixed crowd. Uh, I, I was at Sweetwater Tavern, and I think that that place is the same way. Like sometimes yeah. you'll go and you'll feel like the oldest person there, and I'm 35, and then sometimes I go and I feel like I'm the youngest person there. I may be the only black person, and then sometimes it's like man, there's only like one white person there. Um, what do you think is so unique about some of these places where? more uh of metro detroit feels welcome like those places uh what are they doing differently you think just from the bartending perspective um i know at the distillery they uh they usually kept it pretty diverse you'll see um you know they they do a good day they empower women a lot Mm-hmm. And you know, there's, you'll see you'll see black people. You'll see. And wait, let let me say this because it's a lot of distilleries. Detroit City Distillery is what we're talking about, right in Eastern Market. Um, I've done a lot of shows there. As we know, one of my best friends, uh, Michael Forsyth, is one of the co-owners of the place. They make uh, my favorite bourbon, uh, and also of that favorite bourbon, uh, many of the crafted cocktails from people such as Justice and Coleman and Cole and just a mix of different people that have put their touch and imprint on that. And what's surprisingly is all you guys are like way younger than me, making me really feel old. (laughs) So um, now you can continue uh, expanding about like the distillery and like the culture and the field here. Yeah, I think that they're just really versatile in terms of – who they work with and and what type of vibe they are. They, uh, I mean, they'll have some electronic music one night. I know my boy uh, DJ Dag. Um, you know, I, I saw him over there one night. They did like a Nolan Ninja album release party, and you know that was. I've never seen a distillery look like it did. Were you there that night? I probably was not there for the Nolan the Ninja drop, brother. That, but they, I uh, am familiar that, with the music. The way I mean, when I went in, there, I was like, I've never seen a you were there. It never looked like mm-hmm. that before. I mean, it's. Um, they're you know they so through the they're, music, they're really inclusive. Yeah. I'll say that's what it is. They're inclusive. There's a lot of people that have been in and out of the distillery from one thing or another. They might not necessarily be related, but they can say that the distillery is pretty much ahead. It's, it's done a good job. Even Eastern Market as a whole has really brought a lot of people together. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that I don't, I don't really go to Sweetwater a lot. I used to get some wings and get up out of there, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be. I mean, it's probably pretty much the same the same concept. Mm-hmm. And with the, you know the area is really well known. Mm-hmm. And people are just gonna, you know, people are just gonna go there. But I think that uh, the distilleries is really inclusive in terms of the things that they get involved with. They work with a lot of people. They got the uh, Red Bull House of Art right there, and they just work with a lot. Of, you know, Mike knows a lot of people. Move, Cole move knows a lot of a people. Closer, because it's like oh, my bad. going Billy D. Williams on. <laughs> All right, there we go. All right, so uh, within that, let's let's go into some of your personal stories, uh, Devontae. 
uh, we can start with you when it comes to food and, and what led you into this world. What's your background, man? Um, I generally always ask the question, what led your family to come here? Or what led you to come here? And that's definitely going to be the question for justice. But uh, how long has your family been here uh, and what led them here? And uh, what led you into the industry of becoming a chef? Uh, well, my family originally from Cleveland. Um, for real? I never knew that. Originally from Cleveland. Um, I moved here when I was very young. Um, six, seven years old. Um, for the most part, I've always been out further north, so Bloomfield, suburban area. Um, I gotta honestly say, Justice is really one who introduced me to a lot of the Detroit scene because he's known I've been cooking, but most of where I've been cooking has always been uh, country clubs, hotels, um, catering, private parties, things like that. So to actually be out here and see the difference in the scene and the culture of the industry out here as opposed to in suburban areas is actually pretty it's pretty cool to see um, that major difference. So I think um, I was able to take what I know from my fine dining experience out there and bring it to the city with our twist of youth and, and culture and everything like that and be able to, you know, let people know that we we can we can still be youthful we can still be cultured and cool but we can also do it at a very fine dining elegant level um what brought my family to detroit is actually the um, automotive industry um my grandfather owns a construction company who they do mostly automotive construction um it's called devon industrial group and so they are in pretty much all the ford plants the chrysler plants all those types of things so that's what brought my family here um, but for me to get into the culinary industry and not actually go with, go on the course with the family business was just, I've always had a passion for food and flavors. Mm -hmm. um, I've been told that I, you know, my palate developed really young mm -hmm. and my understanding of flavors and, and, and spices and things like that. And then just the sheer ability to be creative. That, that's mm -hmm. what really drawed me very heavily to, um, to cooking, man. Like just you can learn one recipe and literally derive hundreds of different renditions and recipes from that one thing. And I think that's something that I've always liked about culinary, man. I don't like doing the same thing tediously every day. Mm -hmm. I literally see something, get something differently thrown at me from a different customer or a different client. I can't have this, but I can have this. Okay, well, let me show you how I can make this water-only diet be amazing. Like, that's literally, like, the type of challenges I like to take. It's one of the things that relates for me closely, most closely to my sports background that I think that competitiveness of it is what I love about it. All right. So uh, with that, a, a couple different things. It's like this is a, a burgeoning movement, i say probably for like the past 10 years possibly. Like Food Network, people watch Food Network like like I watch sports. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, got themselves a Foreman grill and a and – a, toaster oven and uh you know uh, a pressure cooker and everybody thinks they can cook nowadays you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying mm -hmm. and they, they watch a rachel ray figuring this whole thing out so in this world of a lot of people expanding what they can do in their kitchen and buying more and and, and trying to be in the kitchen like that uh what type of pressure do you think that puts on somebody like you that's actually went through the schooling and the training to uh have the courage to still flavor things and, you know, uh, s introduce people to something new as the buyer for food now in restaurants is becoming more and more aware of the process in all. 
Um, well, I think, you know, I think for most chefs, most good chefs who call themselves good chefs, you know, we should be, uh, you know, at a level of challenge accepted. You know what I mean? Um, and again, I think that just one of those things, uh, another obstacle that I think that intrigues me the most about it is like, yeah, okay, people think like it, get, it makes us basically raise our levels so we don't get stagnant because like you're right, the Internet is crazy now. Pinterest um all these different avenues to learn how to do it yourself Mm -hmm. that's the major challenge for us as chefs is to constantly be one step ahead you can do this at home but let me show you how we can do it here on a Mm -hmm. higher level um i get people all the time you know um because at our events a lot of times we do feature different styles and renditions of lamb chops Mm -hmm. and i have get people i love lamb chops but i never had them like this i think that's our job as chefs is to constantly just like any other art, constantly elevate, constantly, you know, research, constantly learn, um, and, and just keep growing in our craft so that the consumer never gets bored or complacent with what our product is. What is going on with the lamb chop movement in Detroit? Because between strip clubs and <laughs> bars, lamb chops are like um, are becoming like the new chicken wings or something. In the past three years, like what what started this whole lamb chop movement happening in Detroit, man? Uh, what started? I couldn't tell you, man. But I, <laughs> I mean, I wish I knew. I, I guess the more uh, accessible strip clubs in Detroit, no. accessible strip clubs. Um, but no, man. I think I think it's just one of those things that for so long people ate, you know, steak, chicken, some salmon, some fish. But like, it's one of those things that, and it's not necessarily a new protein, but it's just. Chefs are doing different things with the different sauces. More classically, lamb was just prepared, served with some something with some mint, and you know, mm-hmm. boom, go. Now people are doing Moroccan style, um, hell, Asian Thai seasoned style, um, sweet tea crusted, black coffee crusted. Like everybody, chefs are just really getting <laughs> like wild with the it's lamb. That's tough because I don't even like lamb, <laughs> and, and, and that's a lot of people say. You know, I don't like lamb, but that's then like. Crazy. They taste, I mean, we literally just did a pop-up where I did lamb four different ways. You know what I mean? Lamb, goat, any of that, like, I don't know what it is. That that whole veal, like, that you texture don't is like, goat? Yeah. You don't like no game in this, huh? Nah, man. <laughs> lamb, goat, any of that family, I'm like, ah! You I got to change your mind, yeah, man. That's my family. I got to change your mind, dog. <laughs> that's my family. I love, I love a hard hat. Like, the, the gyro, like, mm-mm, chicken pita. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so with the whole concept of uh, a lot of this introduction in food and everything, like just your journey uh, in school, what was that like? Because you just mentioned sports. Um, so uh, taking this to to the next level, uh, still with sports, I know at Bay, like what was that like? Um, you know, schooling, culinary school, uh, sports, like how, how did that balance? Um, well, so. Growing up, I mean, my family, you know, as you said, I'm a big dude, man, and um, like my whole family, all of us big fellas, we all played football all growing up. What position? I played offensive line. Growing mm-hmm. up, I played a lot of fullback, and then as I got older, a little bit of offense, defensive line, um, mm-hmm. some center, that kind of stuff. But uh, Okay, now Justice obviously played football, too. Uh, what what position on the line? I was a defensive end. Okay, what, yeah. what position were you on the line? I played uh, center. You play center? Yeah. Okay, so if it head up. Head up. Head up in the front. You know what it happened. Come on now. Come on now. Now you start you started something. No, we've already talked about it. We've already talked about it. We've already done it. You know exactly how it would have went. We already talked about it. That's my dog. 
<laughs> nah, man. But yeah, so you know, after, upon graduating high school, man, for me, it's like college football. I think I had some very like some low level, you know, some D three mm-hmm. that type. And I just kind of got to that mindset. Was like, what am I going to do for my career? Well, I know I want to be a chef. So as opposed to doing, you know, wasting not wasting, but going to college three, four years playing the low level college football. Let me get right into it. You know what I mean? So then I chose the Art Institute um, as a school for culinary. And the, the the sheer difference, and I don't want to discourage anybody from culinary school, but culinary school and actually being in it and being in the shits is like night and day, man. Explain it. Well, Break it down. That's what we, that's what we do with Detroit is different. Well, cul- so culinary school, man, is like you, you, you got time to sit there for, for, for 20 minutes and learn how to do a specific cut. And you got time to, if I mess this steak up or overcook it, let me recook it until I, so you learning. And, and even when you get to your level of school and where you are actually working, um, mm-hmm. it's still a lot different than when you're actually in the industry. You see all the, the behind the scenes, you see how rough it is the long hours you know in school your longest lab is going to be four and a half five hours well the reality is when you in the restaurant industry and it took me a minute to get used to it getting into it so young but you know you work 10 12 hour days no lunch breaks i mean you eat a little chicken tender here a little french fry there while you working but the reality (coughs) is is you work 10 12 hour days in a hot kitchen where it's a high intensity high pressure the high pressure to you know produce food at crazy amounts of speeds and multiple it's just a lot you know what I mean so um, those are the major differences and a lot of you learn from a lot of the veterans in the, in the industry how to different tricks different ways of doing things that like well damn they ain't teach me this in culinary school but you're not gonna learn that in culinary school so who who are some of the OG's that put you up on game over time uh, in and around this area um, around this area, so actually, man, one of my first culinary jobs when I was 16 years old was a uh, I got a job as a prep cook at the Hotel St. Regis, um, right off the boulevard, hmm. and I'm um, work for a chef named Dolores Williams, and she kind of started me off real slow, you know, hey, go peel this three cases of 25 pound potatoes, like, you know, yeah, had me, been my last day, had me doing, but see, <laughs> see, that's that's just it though, that's just it, it's like it's definitely the, it's definitely the level last labor. day. It's definitely a love of labor, man. You got to love it, man. A lot of guys in this industry, if you don't love it, you'll fold quick. I mean, I've literally seen where we getting our asses kicked and a guy's like, yo, I, I can't do this. And he will walk out mid-shift. I've seen it time and time again. So um, one thing, like I said, Chef Dolores and some of the guys on her crew, um, Lamont, Big Country, those guys, like they all still work downtown in the downtown area. Um mm-hmm. You know, just basically taught up, taught me young, like, yo, just grind. Keep grinding, keep grinding. Don't ever let somebody tell you, like, what you can or can't do. Okay, so Hotel St. Regis, I remember, even to this day, and I know it's under new ownership now. Well, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that. I know uh, primary, uh, Swanson is still, like, a primary owner. Uh, a new group has stepped in, uh, led by Tony Saunders Jr. That's my man, Tony, uh, especially Tony Saunders Sr. But, uh Big brunch, Sunday brunch. Yeah. It was a big thing at the St. Regis for generations. I know yeah. And I can only imagine what it was like making sure that that was filled. Was that one of the tasks you had at hand? So, so one of the first moments I can vividly remember, like, getting my shit pushed in during a service was like, <laughs> straight up, like, no, like, straight up, like, what the fuck? Like, you ain't I got doing? no more chicken. What is? Like, yo, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, so, Sunday brunch. So, we had just did... Um, and this was my first real glimpse of what long hours, 
no sleep and having to just grind through it. This is the first experience I got at it. So we worked New Year's Eve. Um, literally didn't get out of the kitchen till three in the morning. The owner of the hotel and chef basically said, "Y'all go downstairs to the break room, wash up, get you a couple hours. We right back at it at six. So we literally stopped cooking at three or cleaning up and breaking down at three. Right back in the kitchen at six, preparing for New Year's Day brunch. And mm. chef threw me on omelets. She threw me out on omelet station right there, right on on the buffet, man. And I literally remember I lined out the lobby for people getting omelets, man. I mean, and it don't seem like that big of a task. But when you got 75 people waiting and they looking at you like, what the hell is this kid doing and why is he? And you right in front of them, that's that's some shit to deal with, man. And like a bunch of. egg white. A bunch of. God damn it, where's the manager? Bunch of middle-aged church ladies in there like, yo, like, who is this kid and why is he blowing it? Like, I was 16 years old, man. Like, and that really, that really taught me how to deal with like, yo, you got to just, you got to get that swag, find that sweet spot and just roll. And I tell all my young cooks that now, man, like. When you're online, there's no sense in panicking, bro, because the people not going nowhere. The tickets ain't going nowhere. So you can go back there and cry and panic. But when you get back, now you're just even more in the weeds because your ticket's still there and people still there. Whole and, whole different cooking experience for me <laughs> at Burger King at 16. <laughs> yeah. We would run out of chicken when I didn't feel like going to the freezer anymore. <laughs> so definitely... <laughs> <laughs> ain't got no more chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so that Shout was, out to, I don't that even was, think that Burger King is there no more. Like out <laughs> near across the street from Beaumont, like 13 Mile and Woodward or whatever. I don't even know if it's there. I was, that's a McDonald's now, I want to say. Hey, <laughs> man. I definitely did not help them stay in business, my brother. I definitely did not help them stay in business. I remember um, it was the 4th of July and it wasn't any. Uh, wasn't any customers. And I was like, hell yeah, I can just sit on the clock, uh, flirt with the girl that ain't giving me no play. And uh, <laughs> it is what it is. And then my, my manager came to me and said, hey, w- I want you to clean up the dumpster. And I was like, what you mean clean up the dumpster? <laughs> he said, hop in no the sense. dumpster, uh, <laughs> mop it out, and sweep it. I was like, oh, hell. I was like, hell no. I'd have hit her with a quick, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was, it was a sure. no-go. Kari Frazier, the employee, was not a good thing at, Bur- at Burger King. <laughs> but it's, it's good to see that Devontae learned. So you basically cut your teeth, have walked every step. And um, within that, what what do you think of uh, this restaurant movement that's happening in Detroit? What, what places do you like? Uh, what should a person be looking for with a good palate? Because I definitely think... Um, and I was asking about just like the black experiences. I, I put things into like I, when I speak, I speak like culturally black. Mm-hmm. I like seasoned food, mm-hmm. and, and what mm-hmm. I'm finding mm-hmm. out actually is a lot of my um, a lot of my homies, and you got some too that are Eastern European. It's kind of the same way, like I, that with the sauces, and mm-hmm. you know, like I don't like things to be bland with a little bit of flavor. I want a lot of flavor. Yeah, you know. So I like Jamaican food. I like, um, you know, I like. The curry and stuff like that. So, um, wh- what what should I be doing, like with my mind, even though I'm gonna like what I like, but just to sort of have somewhat of a fine dining experience? What should I be expecting if if I'm gonna go to Restaurant Week and not not be sitting there thinking like, damn man, you got red hot in the back, you know? Well, that's and that's just it, man. I think that a lot of uh, 
a lot of chefs, and I'm not, you know, throwing anybody in the bus, but you can flavor food. You can you can put a pack a lot of punch in flavors without over salting or over. And I think that just up to that that is basically solely relying on the chef and that chef doing his research and learning how to flavor things and create different umami on the on the palate and all these things because it's like you can flavor things without using salt so much salt um i think that's one thing that us as a culture yeah, we, it's killing us and Lari's is generally the season and that, that, that was and that was where i was going to go i literally like i had to teach my mom and my grandma and my grandma she's like get out of my kitchen but my mom is she's a lot more receptive of it my grandma like i've been doing this big 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 diabetes you know big big diabetes like we call her you know what i mean but she she like i've been doing it like this for years you know i had my grandma tell me at 10, 11 years old so grandma how much salt to put in it just do it till it feels right well, well that's why you're walking on slippers grandma you know what i mean um but oh, i already know <laughs> the, 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 the bag with the uh red you know like the grocery store bag yeah. uh, uh with the chicken flour, flour in there, there yeah. and then throwing like a bottle of lorries in there yeah. and a little bit of red pepper yep. and pepper shake it up and, <laughs> and that's now you it. got yep. dropping in the grease and that's yep. chicken wing yeah but see so that like i said <laughs> so i think that's a big thing man it's like just learning different and there's always different spices and seasons that are hitting the market, man. Different flavors, different food, and different ways to prepare food, man. I think um, that's something that, like I said, we as chefs need to just constantly stay in our playbook. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's a joke me and Justice make all the time. It's like sports reference. Get in your playbook. You know what I mean? So so staying in that playbook, um, what should I be looking for where I'm not, you know, where I sh- what should I expect? Should I just, you know, because I love flavor. So yeah. should I just stray away from that white linen table dining experience because well, no. most of those places I don't like. Well, and, that, and that's what we... That that's I've what, at least been. At that's least. what the exchange is. That's what we're doing, man. That's that's what we're trying to show people is that you can still come have well, a fine, fine dining, dining elegant, tastes, sexy, like classy, and you like, yo, this food on top of that, mm-hmm. I, like I'm so... And that's what, we, that's what, we're, that's what we're breeding, man. Um, all of our events we do... The food packs a lot of flavor. The cocktails are like, you know, you get these. Unfortunately, when you right now, the narrative is when you go to a black owned food establishment, you get in that Hennessy and Coke and you get in that fried chicken in the styrofoam box. Like I say, in honor of Tupac, I broke out cognac. (laughs) From the French reason, <laughs> Hennessy, it is. Yeah, nothing against Hennessy. No, it's not. No, we, we, we might. Not, we might end yeah. up owing you a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Like, nothing against. Not, oh, oh, keep it. I got the do say up there too. <laughs> Shout out to Jay Z. <laughs> so no, no, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So it's, Tupac. I've been listening to my Machiavelli. So. so not that there's anything wrong with those things, but it's like our people, our culture. You know, we don't really know. You know, these different flavors and ways of drinking things or eating things. Mm-hmm. Um, I might me myself personally. I can honestly say I am not a gin drinker. I don't like it. It's horrible. Justice will, has poured me gin drinks. Mm. Right, I, I will drink five of them. You know what mm. I mean? Um, I've had family members tell me the same thing. Like, yo, I don't know what that dude's doing back there. Hilarious. But I'll drink it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I try. I trust Just, Justice is one of my favorite bartenders. But you just led me to the justice questioning. <laughs> Back to some justice questions. You and your journey, man. Detroit. How did you get here? I uh, I played football. I got a scholarship. I was at uh, Central Michigan, and I fucked that up pretty quick. And I had to find somewhere else to play ball. Okay, at. what what was it? Was it the girls? Was it the partying? What what was it that messed you up? <laughs> Weed. <laughs> Trees will mess you up. I, I tell people all Being the time. Being dumb, having too much fun, and then. Uh, we will mess you up sometimes. Yeah, nah, Actually, it got often, me. I don't even it cheat. got me. 
you know. That's so, the crazy part. Is that I'll be thinking about that. I don't even smoke like that anymore, neither. I'm like, man, some shit that I don't know. Risked my whole future, my whole football career and shit over. So what? Shit that were you up there with Antonio like Brown and them? There, um, I was there when they were training stuff for the combine. When I was like on my visits and stuff, I had met them and. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I ran into him, but I didn't actually. I wasn't on the team with him, and I wasn't um, there. Yeah, I wasn't hanging with him and stuff like mm-hmm. that. If I would have come when I was supposed to be, I graduated high school '09. If I would have went that following fall in 2009, mm-hmm. I would have been a, um, a true freshman. I would have been, you know, red shirt and not participating in the games, but I would have been there their, their senior year. Okay. But I ain't had the grades in high school, so what they do they uh, they make you. It's called a gray shirt where you. They give you an extra semester to get your get your shit together. Basically, I didn't end up needing it, but I was just mm-hmm. hanging out, not doing shit for a semester. That, that's I wasn't what, in school, uh, not working. Not and doing let me nothing. let me say this: as as I got a lot of people, especially in the hip hop community, that always push, and not just hip hop. I mean, all over. Um, I know the first guy that opened the distillery in Detroit. That's my man, Hollywood. What up? Um, I think. With a lot of drugs and a lot of things, but especially drugs comes like a culture and associated with that culture comes behavior and associated with that behavior comes like these cliques and and people. And sometimes those cliques and those people, especially when you're at a younger age and that discernment, you will not be necessarily making those decisions to get your ass to class. Yeah. When you are associated with the with the crew that's going through an ounce every day. Yeah. yeah, I got you. All right, but uh, so yeah, when I finally did, I I, I got there uh, January of 2010, and then um, basically all that happened. I got kicked off the team. I transferred, and I I didn't think I was gonna play again. I was like, man, they because I had injuries and you know blah blah blah. And then I figured it out. I ended up at Wayne State, and um, because they had kind of recruited me in in high school, but uh, you know Central Michigan is Division One, Wayne State is Division Two, so they ain't talked to me that much when they realized I had. Mm-hmm. Central, uh, you know, popping when I, I called them up and they let me come down and play. And I had called other schools, but I was like, I just wanted to play, so I didn't care. I had called Grand Valley, I called Saginaw Valley. I ain't have a car, so I was just like, whoever just closest, whoever's gonna let me play. Where were you coming much. from? Where were you coming from originally? Oh, um, I'm from Ypsilanti. I went to Ann Arbor here. Mm-hmm. So I'm from Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. So like 40 minutes out of here is like two and a half hours from mm-hmm. uh, what is that Mount Pleasant, where Central is. So uh-huh. um, I ended up, uh, you know, that happened. I transferred over to Wayne State, and even when I was playing, I had my my intro pretty much to like downtown area was. I needed a job, and I had some teammates that worked downtown. Everybody always goes to Old Shillelaghs, mm-hmm. and um, I went there one night, and I saw some dudes on the team that was working, and I ain't have a job. I needed you know some money, so I went and asked them, and I got put on, and I was bouncing down there, and then. Um, okay, wait, we got to stop. Old Shillelagh, yeah. uh, if people don't know, like right in the heart of Greektown. But what I identify, the same way I identify the, the brunch, the Sunday brunch with St. Regis, I identify Old Shillelagh with opening day. What was bouncing at Old Shillelagh on opening day like? I never bounced there on opening day because we always had um, spring, spring training, spring ball. Okay. So we always had like practice or something. Okay. But it's the same as like a St. Patrick's Day. It's uh it's I could imagine. I've you worked were, comparable you, you bounced days, for, for St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. 
Okay. So that's it's, uh, I think that's second when I think about the old shillelagh. It's pretty much the same thing. I mean, there's a uh, I think over the day, I think there was a video. I think there's a video. I think there's a video of something wild. Uh like you know the 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 uh the start of uh the Fresh Prince where Uncle Phil throws jazz out like <laughs> hey, speaking How many of that, man, people did you have? Speaking of that, there's a video. Oh. I I don't think I have access to it. <laughs> I don't think I can get it, but um, I did that to somebody. You jazzed somebody. <laughs> yeah, ah. I did that to somebody, but uh, because I assume people was just you know because that if it ever was a place that I think that uh, you know as uh, a lot of a lot of my homies, I got Irish homies. And I never, I still really don't understand the the thought process behind St. Patrick's Day, other than uh, they start drinking beer at like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they start drinking beer at like <laughs> six in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> they, they be, okay, so by yeah, yeah, yeah you start drinking yeah. beer at six in the morning, then by eleven o'clock you got to bounce somebody out. And best yeah. believe it ain't just beer. Yeah, <laughs> it just ain't just it ain't beer. just beer. <laughs> okay, um, it's it, you know like you said it gets uh it gets active, man. You got it's 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 a lot, man. You pretty much just. Telling people to relax and kicking people out. Because all, I've seen I've day. seen in my day in Open Detroit. Clothes. You know, some people in Detroit got hands. Some people some patrons have hands. <laughs> yeah. I've seen I've seen a yeah, bouncer I've get seen bounced. It too. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm just I'm just saying. Every, every <laughs> I've dog, seen bouncers get bounced. Every dog has his day. <laughs> every dog. <laughs> we, we not Did you talk, have your day at old about mine. But, <laughs> <laughs> But every dog has his day. Okay, so from there, how did you end up from bouncing over to um, shifting over to bartending? I had just seen bartenders at, you know, old shillelaghs, and I just figured that they was probably making pretty good money. And then, But I was still in school, so I was focused on football in school, really mm-hmm. football. <laughs> what, uh, what major? What major were you? Kinesiology, exercise, and sports science. Ain't that something? So yeah. you stay, like, right in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I had to pick something, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I just did basically that football was your major. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I was just meeting people there. It's right there in Greek Town, so I got it. I had ended up getting a job at. I had another teammate that worked at Fishbones across the street as a bus boy. Mm-hmm. So I was over there, and we was like, "Oh, getting and it's crazy! Like any money that you get in college, you feel like you like rich." Cause it wasn't even that much money, but it's when you got something in your pocket, you feel good. So I was doing that, and then I still was thinking about bartending. I ended up, um, I like made up a resume. I lied. I said I worked at Lucky's because I knew it was close. I knew they couldn't really <laughs> check and see. Okay, and it, it got me a job. Ahead of the game. Yeah, <laughs> our boy uh, who works with us now. So um, how did you? But how did you know all the drinks to make? I googled it. I just pretty much googled some basic drinks that um, I mean, I googled what I thought might be some basic drinks that I might end up having to make, mm-hmm. and you know, make some flashcards. I mean, I studied it like I was in school, and then um, it didn't matter because they gave me a job as a as a bus boy. Also, I think they pretty much knew that I was lying. Um, okay, but I re- I mainly got the job because our boy Ty, who we still work with to this day. He's basically like the second. He's, yeah, he's in the my kitchen. sous chef in the kitchen, man. It's yeah. a beast. He got me a job at. He had moved. We both lived right uh, in Midtown. He moved in on top of uh, on the on the floor right above mine, and he got me the job at. Uh, it was called the Grill Midtown at the time, and there I met. I met a couple people. I met me and Colvin went to high school together. Yeah, but I, I hadn't seen him in a while. Okay, and I just seen him. He looked familiar. I seen him. At, he was like on salads. 
He mm-hmm. wasn't even behind the bar yet. He was on salads at the Grill Midtown. Ty was uh, the sous chef over there. Mm-hmm. Um, my boy O, that was where I met him. Man, he was in. He was behind the bar, and Chuck was behind the bar. And I told him that I oh no I wanted to bartend and they, he gave me like ten flashcards with like the ten steps of service and some shit like that and he was like yeah study these and I was like man fuck that but I was like maybe he just think I ain't gonna do it and he'll give me some play if he pop quiz me and I know it and he forgot basically but um they uh Chuck was opening up the distillery he was the first person to run the distillery mm-hmm. and you know we all got cool and called him was like yo come on but I had football coming up so I still wasn't really thinking that much about it when football ended after that season I then revisited that I, I hit up Coleman I came into the distillery as a as a bar back and um you know I like I said the bartender that I had seen was at at uh, old Shillelagh's and they're making like Jaeger bombs and yeah, you know, like, bombs all shot Tully and shit like yeah, yeah. pouring beers. So when I came in there, I was like, "What the? I was like, what the fuck is they doing? Like, they do, I'm just getting, I'm a bar vest. I'm just getting ice. I'm cutting fruit and shit. I'm like doing all the whack shit. Mm-hmm. But everything is blowing my mind. I didn't know that they, I didn't know what syrups were. Like, you gotta make the syrups. I'm like, how the fuck you make syrups? I'm thinking like. The only, I swear to God, the only syrup I really knew was like maple syrup. I'm like, got all these syrups back there and I'm tasting, I'm like, this shit is crazy. I'm like, they make drinks with these. Like, it makes sense. But I had never thought about it. And then, um, you know, I got the recipes for the syrups and then I see, I ended up finding like the recipes for the drinks and then like, I'm finding out that they're getting them out of these books. I got the books and then I just pretty much learned on my own. And then when the opportunity came, you know, I had, you know, even before it, I was asking Chuck, you know, let me make a drink for you. I, I, I basically, I let him know I wanted to be a bartender. I, and I was like, let me make a drink for you. And every now and then he'll give me some play, I'll make him a drink. And then there came an opportunity where I, they needed somebody. And they let me bartend. I got my ass kicked and shit. I mean, but, you know, it was, it was still cool. And then I ended up being a you know, regular bartender over there. And then I started working all over the place. And then you just pretty much find out where everyone's getting the information from. And then you, then you can figure out how to be independent and start getting the information by yourself. And mm-hmm. taking it to different, working at different restaurants and learning what to and not to do at these restaurants. Because I pretty much learned the fancy craft cocktail shit before I learned how to work at the well. Mm-hmm. Where you just pouring $2 drinks and then, mm-hmm. you know, that's it. All right. So move closer to the mic a little bit too. But uh, I keep leading back. Yeah, I know. You, you like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm lounging. I'm lounging, man. Exactly. <laughs> Lounge. So, um, so with that, in um in that thought process of like uh building and transitioning and, and, and learning this whole bar culture how much is the craft cocktail and fine dining what's the relationship between two to you justice um i feel like it's pretty much a part that was that was missing like i want to say roast mhm Downtown was where in Detroit a lot of the crab cocktail stuff uh, kind of started, mm-hmm. and then it just pretty much spread from there, and then it was Sugar House, and then like mm-hmm. everything, yeah, and the Sugar Oakland, House the Oakland's not in Detroit, but I mean like there was the Oakland also. Yeah, Sugar House was the first place that I remember, you know, sitting down and specifically going, saying to myself, "All right, I'm gonna pay seventeen dollars for one drink." Yeah, and, uh, with that's not with the tip. So like, I'm paying twenty five dollars for a drink, and yeah. it's something that I'm not about to be able to go 
you know, down the street to LJ's or over the slows and get as well. Yeah. yeah. I felt like um, Sugar House was probably in Detroit, probably the first place that, like, where I had that, that moment that I had at the distillery where I was like, yo, what the fuck is they doing? That's probably the moment that most people had when they went to Sugar House. Mm. But, you know, I wasn't even in the industry at that time. I just feel like pretty much just, like, the bar aspect is that is what they were missing, like, the, the that, that next that next level. Because mm. the food and the service, and pretty that was pretty much there. There was still a you know a culinary boom, so there's still mm-hmm. a lot of innovation on the food aspect. But I feel like a lot more pro- there was a lot more progress that could have been made behind the bar, and I feel like that's you know a lot of Woodfield has been feeling all the attention that we've been getting, you know, out mm-hmm. out this way. It's now, pretty much that. as as tough as it is to be working in the kitchen. It's even tougher in a bar because, like, you know, you'll go to a bar, build a relationship with somebody because, I mean, you're not going every day unless, uh, you know, you probably should be going to a meeting as well every day. <laughs> but um, you'll probably go to, like, a bar, let's say, even, like, you know, every other week. But you'll build a relationship with a guy for two months or a woman for two months. And then the next thing you know, there's someplace else. Like, what is, yeah. why are bartenders so moving around so much like what is it about that industry why is it such a high turnover like what is it about that that's not even just behind the bar i'll say it's in the you know just the whole the restaurant the bar industry yeah that's the whole the whole industry there's a lot but of like the bartender you build like a personal relationship with like you you know like your bartender in some instances is like a barber you know what i'm saying it's like yo i want to yeah. see them you know I think because I mean it's 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 a you know there's not as much of a personal relationship between you and the chef, but the bartender is right there in front of you. And you yeah, get your drink I and like well, you know, kind of my favorite part about bartenders is not necessarily making the drinks. I like you know like I do that pretty much all on my own like the whole the the mixology shit and then the actual bartending, which is pretty much just taking care of the people and interacting with the people, mm-hmm. bringing people together. That's my favorite part. All the mixology shit and studying. That's tight too, but I do that, you know, out, outside and, and bring that in, getting mm-hmm. information and learning stuff. I I learn that I do that outside and bring that in. But as long as I can get people to drink, because like, you can do all that studying, but if somebody wants a high life, that's what they want. But I want to kick it, you know, what I'm saying with people and talk and and connect, and I, and that's that's what it is. It's just more personal experience, and people will, you know, have you know regulars or whatever. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. come. They find out where you at. They'll come fuck with you. Yeah, I know. I've 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 definitely uh, paid more than I was planning on paying following you. you know, having, <laughs> having just the season tickets is going to an expense. <laughs> so, um, but like just that industry, like what what is the high turnover? What are are people looking for? Like that's that that best case scenario, or people just chasing like. You know the place that's hot right now. I would say it's a bunch of stuff. I say a main thing right now is there's so many places opening up that there's a lot of people that are just chasing the money. These new places open up, you know they're gonna do really well at first, and mm-hmm. so you wanna go there and get and, and get that money. But then mm-hmm. you know for one reason or another it might not work out. There's always a new spot, so there's always people chasing those those places. Mm-hmm. I say that. Um, so what um, for that person listening? Because it's a lot of people. You know, I meet a lot of people that want to open restaurants and bars. In business school, almost everybody that 
I mean, I'm sitting in there wanting to, you know, opening a consultancy, but everybody else wants to open up a bar and restaurant. Mm -hmm. What would you say people need to know just from working in the industry as a chef and a bartender uh, to to keep things going? To uh, what should they do in building their team so they can keep their team even through if like a hotter spot opens up next door to keep things together? You gotta uh, be invested in the people that you work with. Yeah, I would say build relationships at ease. Um, when they come into work, the whole point of having a job is you come in there and you know that your home, your personal life is financially taken care of. That's what a job is for. But when you go there, you worried about this and that. You know, I mean, people do a lot of stuff. A lot of people make a lot of mistakes, management wise, where the employees feel. What's a common mistake? A common mistake. Uh, I would say, from an ownership and a management perspective, is you know, a, a ego. Where give an example. It's a very ego. You might industry. you might cut somebody's hours or something, and not give them shifts where they can make a lot of money, because of something you know, like uh, you think that they you know being lazy, you know, but you don't know what happened to them, you know, you don't know why they seem, you know, I don't want to even call it lazy, but, you know, slow or sluggish or whatever. You don't know what they've been going through. So when you don't have a relationship, you don't bother to ask and figure out where they're coming mm -hmm. from. And they might need this shift more than ever, but because they having a bad day, you take a shift away. It's just, um, what is that, reactionary mm -hmm. management? Just, mm -hmm. you know, shit like that. And, it, and it, it, it fucks up, you know, the employee who could be a good employee if you're really doing your job. I feel like service, a lot of people say service starts I mean, I say service starts with you got to take care of your employees because they're the ones that go deal with the guests yeah. and the people that's bringing the money in. What would you say, Devontae? I, I can agree with a lot of that. I think um, at the end of the day, from a management ownership standpoint, um, we forget that we are dealing with humans. We're dealing with people um, who have feelings and whatever. At the same time, as there as there is a business and a job to be done, um, I think that the industry is already very high stress, high you know, fast pace, you know, very high stress levels as it is, you know, naturally that any added stress, any added extra whatever um, is never going to be conducive. Um, I think one thing as far as turnover rate goes, and like I said, it happens for many multiple different reasons, but um, I think the biggest one is that sometimes people don't feel, because the reality is you, you are at the restaurant or bar or whatever, sometimes more than you at home with your own damn family. So you got if you mm -hmm. feel like you can't be comfortable at that place, that's why. And the fact that the accessibility to move on is so high because there are multiple restaurants and bars around opening up, opening up that that it's it's not it's not even a second thought. Sometimes like I'm uncomfortable, I'm gone. I think for the back of the house standpoint, as opposed, I'm not sure how it really works behind the bar, but I know from running a few kitchens, um, I think the biggest thing for me has always been, again, I always refer back to sports, but like create my team like get my get my squad together like let let them know that like it's our kitchen it ain't just my kitchen it's you know this, this is our food you know what i mean um and kind of try to try to get them guys to to rally around you you know what i'm saying be that be that quarterback that quarterbacks the squad and they see you like yo they see you humping just like they humping and they, and they they don't that's that's received a lot better than you standing there barking out orders and treating people like robots i mean um also, with like I said, it's it's an art. This whole industry is art, man. I mean, it really, truly, is art. And so, when you handcuff people and don't allow them to be creatively flow, you know, be creative in their artistic environment, I think that's what allows, uh, you know, causes a lot of people to uproot and go elsewhere. I know 
me personally, anytime I've been in a kitchen where I felt like I was a, a on an assembly line at a plant, this ain't the place for me. Because mm-hmm. if I can't be creative and I'm and this is my art, then there's no reason for me to be here. And I think a lot of chefs are so egotistical that they don't allow their cooks to to be creative. You gotta They're, empower people. You gotta empower people. It was absolutely, and I think that's one thing um, that a lot of chefs make a mistake of is that because it's such an egotistical industry that we sometimes as chefs are like, look, this is my menu. Say, hold, yes, hold, hold up, on that same point, because it just cut. It just cut. So we about to start one sec. I don't know why it cut, but sometimes it's been doing that the last couple of times. But, <coughs> All right, you were just talking about like what happens is chefs with ego. Share and expand on that. Yeah, so like I said, a lot of times, man, chefs just get to this to this point where it's like yes chef no chef and that's it you know i don't want i don't want your opinion i don't care about your whatever and i think that's a big mistake um as i do want my things to be you know seen out and prepped the way i intended them to be if you have a way of showing hey chef this is an idea i had and you're not wasting my food and you're not wasting i'm good with it you know what i mean i think that's a lot of a lot about like you said building those relationships if you if you can't feel comfortable enough for me to say hey chef this is a dope idea i have what do you think and and seek my advice on it then you don't need to be on my team anyway you know what i mean like i want you to better come to me and i always tell my cooks if you're still cooking with me in three years i failed you because that means i didn't give you the tools or teach you the things for you to better get out here in the industry and show somebody else what you got you know what i mean okay and then let's talk a little bit about that does it happen like when you get poached like are you approached like um you know like lebron james and it like Dwayne wade came to lebron james where the the owner of a new bar comes across the table from you like yo we need you or is it more so like from the inside out where like somebody that went over to this new place because they were looking for something new is like yo man i know you dope Come on over here. Like, how is that happening? As it's so many restaurants that are opening. I think it's both both ways. Both ways, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Justice can probably elaborate a little bit more on the front of the house end, but back of the house, you know, every night after we get off, not every night, but when we get off, sometimes we go get a drink. You meet other people in the industry, and they hear about what you where you at and what you're doing. Um, Like I said, I know me myself personally. When my first introduction to downtown was, you know, I was a catering chef at Compuware. And I got approached by some guys at the restaurant I'm currently at. They're like, yo, we heard about you doing this. We seen some of your work, blah, 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 blah. What can we do to get you over here with us? Mm-hmm. On the same flip side, you know, I've personally gone out and been like, yo, you're dope. I need you on my squad. So it, it happens it's both like ways. the mafia or something. And, then I've, and I've also had, you know, young cooks mm-hmm. going to me and go, yo, chef, like, I want to work with you, man. I want to learn from you. I feel like where I'm at right now is I'm being handcuffed. I heard you allow your guys to be creative and, and you know, for, you know, actually do this for real. Like, what's up? Can I get down? So it happens both ways, man, for sure. Okay. What about at the bar? It happens the same way. You know, the exact same way, pretty much. Um, you know, my boy O, who I met, like I was saying earlier, at, um, at the at Grill Midtown. Mm-hmm. He... He worked with me. He does the pop-ups with us. He worked with me at, you know, the spot that I'm at now a couple weeks ago. I worked with him at the spot that he's at now a couple months ago. We worked mm-hmm. at Savannah Blue together. Mm-hmm. Either he's bringing me or I'm bringing him. Like, that's, we a, you know, like, we a team. Whenever I need someone to be, mm-hmm. you know, do some stuff and give me some relief behind the bar for our pop-ups, mm-hmm. I was the first person that I called. All right, so with this, 
front of the bar versus back of the bar. The money being made in this industry as we kind of come to a close. What type of money is being made? Because it's another one of those things. It's like strippers, bartenders. <laughs> you never know how much money these people are making. You know what I'm saying? Like, because it is services tip based. Like, what's yeah. a good tip? I was uh, the closest thing I can give is uh, in in the world of jobs <coughs> where ugh, whatever. Uh, I was a pizza delivery driver. And, and boy, boy, I needed it with Pizza Hut. The first day I delivered pizza, I got a tip for $75. Damn. I was like, oh, <laughs> you, you got this down. is going to be what's up. Yeah, never got anything close to that again. Yeah. It's, it's Generally, temper, it was like $2. It's temperamental. I mean. So, like, what's, is it like just like the ebb and flow? Uh, like, what's what what what's happening? And then how do you manage your money when you are in this industry? I it's think, different. I think that from back to front for sure. I think that when you getting tips from a, a, a server aspect or a bartender, anyone who's getting like a, a tipped employee, uh-huh. it's like twenty. Like you, you, you expect a twenty percent tip. That's pretty much you know. But there's gonna be people that tip way more than that. There's gonna be people that tip way less than that. So you kind of pretty much. I don't even worry about it. I pretty much just look at. I still say twenty percent is gonna be. Around the average. Your average, so I don't even have to worry about. I don't gotta look at every single tab and see what they tipped him and, and judge them on that shit. I just pretty much look at it from that point as a sales job, and your commission will be about twenty percent, which is a really good sales job. I mean, we're not selling cars and shit, but I mean, you mm-hmm. can just look at it like that. So I just focus on you know focus on how much I'm selling because I know my tips are gonna be around twenty percent of that, but um. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people get mad if you if you don't get a big tip. But they, I mean, people that don't tip a lot come to restaurants, and people that tip a whole lot also come to restaurants. Mm-hmm. So I mean, as like we're, we're in the news about this whole Jay Z thing, and people were complaining like it wasn't twenty percent that Jay Z had. And then certain people were like, I mean, all they did was just open the bottle. Yeah, I mean. I read. I heard, I mean, I heard about it a little bit, but I heard it was still like a thousand dollars, some shit. Like, like how no, much it was, was it? eleven. It was like eleven thousand dollars, and the bill was yeah, man, I'm not, eighty thousand. I'm not gonna be mad. Yeah, I, I assume you probably would not be mad with ten bands, my friend. I'm not. You know, at, start, at a certain point, it's like, man, you over here doing these math and doing these percentages and shit. This is eleven thousand dollars right here. But it was still the thought process behind. Yeah, there's people. You like know, I say, if you people just like open the beer, and this is what's so weird, because even like if I get a beer. I mean, I don't know if I if I have a relationship with the bartender. No matter what, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely show you more love because it's like I know you. Yeah. But if it's just a a, a a regular bartender and they give me a beer and the beer costs five dollars, and I feel like all they really did was open it, I probably am only gonna give a dollar or two dollars. Yeah. But I mean, like for a beer, opening a beer, like like I said, working at the well, it's like two dollar drinks and people give you like a dollar. That's a fifty percent tip. It takes half a second to open a beer. You had you know. What mm-hmm. four hundred times? It don't always be like that. But I mean, like it can, it can, it can add up. I think at the end of the day, people need to realize, man, it's just like you, you are out and you are getting a service, and this is how these people are making their living. And you know what I mean? That's like, and I guess it's kind of hard to say people should all have that same, I guess, sympathy or whatever. Not even sympathy, but you know, just understand. understanding of what what it is. But the reality is, is what what it is. You know what I mean? You are coming out. You are getting a service. Um, maybe you do only just want that beer, but understand that if you want it more, that that opportunity is there. So um, these are how these people are paying their bills. This is how we raising our kids. This is how we 
you know, eat, you know what I mean? So to come somewhere and get all this, get basically waited on hand and foot, however you want to look at it. And because yeah, you got to definitely because uh, I have not been waited on hand and foot. <laughs> okay, hand, <laughs> okay, hand and stomach, hand. whatever. Hand, whatever. And, stomach. hand and stomach. You got four, <laughs> didn't you? No, finger and toe. We got action. We got action, action with the hand. We're waiting on the foot. <laughs> waiting on the foot. <laughs> now, but I think people just need to understand that, man. I think if you go into any dining or drinking experience with that mindset that you are receiving a service and these people are being paid. And and in in what you and your um, tip is gonna be, you know what I mean? Cool. All right, so we we wrap in now. Y'all got a couple different things coming up. I'm gonna be doing some work with you all because I want to see this build. The exchange is something that I think mixes because the dynamic you guys need to add is music and live entertainment to what you do. But uh, yeah. along with it, because um, this will probably air sometime in April. Um, so God knows what we'll be doing then, and I'll do a special liner and update and all that. So I'm going to just hit you all with the classic Detroit is different questions, and then I'm going to let you get, give the people what they need. Uh, very first car. I want you all to tell the story of your very first car. Uh, when did you get it? Uh, the year you got it and the year making model that the car was, and where did you go when you got it? <laughs> you want to start? <laughs> yeah, uh. My very first car, uh, it was a 99 Camry. What year did you get it? Uh, I Probably like 2000, 2011, maybe. Okay. All right. So it has some, think, I don't know where I went age. with it, man. I don't know if I really went anywhere. <laughs> I probably went to the crib. My mom bought it for me. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was, I mean, I was out. <laughs> For sure, I don't know exactly where I was at, but I was uh, I was there. I was riding that thing. First, first, <laughs> first whip, man. I had a uh, my dad made my older brother give me his old whip, so it was a 2000 uh, Chrysler Series. Um, thing needed brakes, rotors, tires. <laughs> the driver's side seat backrest didn't hold up, so I jerry rigged that with a uh, a. A mechanic stool that had a up and down let up situation. <laughs> One second, so and the driver's side. Yeah, you bro. mean the front where you had to drive? The driver's <laughs> side seat did not have a backrest that would hold up. You, to, you basically adjusted your posture. I adjusted my posture, but see, I got creative, man. I, I, I wish this was a joke, but I used a stool that had an adjustable let up let down for that my dad used to use in the garage. And that was my seat, man. But me and my homeboy, man, my dad, summer two thousand summer two thousand eight, man. My dad was like, "Yo, the, the engine's right, the engine's good." Man, me and my boy Miles spent like a few hours, couple days, got that thing together, man. And we rolled all summer in that beat up two thousand one, two thousand whatever year it was, Chrysler Series, man. Ah, ah, that's what's up. Damn, your stories. <laughs> that was All a right. good story man. Um, Okay and then this is uh, for both of you guys uh, So both of you all gotta get this one um, It's the end of the Detroit fireworks You're at Woodward and Jefferson You're a DJ <laughs> You get to play three songs for the crowd What three songs are you playing and why? Uh, end of the fireworks I'm gonna play Friends Because they were shooting Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna play I, some I, smooth I, shit. I, I, yeah. 
I'm gonna keep it nice it. and light. Okay, so you know, niggas Beanie. shooting it. Was, it was it got Jaleel wild. Jaleel gets a shout out. Okay, <laughs> what else we got? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely gonna throw a twerk song in there. I need to see what's going on for the after the fire. Gotta play sit. swag and surf. Swag surf yeah, gotta, gotta be one. Gotta hit with that. Okay, so that's two. You guys got uh, four more now. Uh. Mm. I'm gonna go with this not new. Nug if you buck. You no, we we will stay away not. from all crime. Absolutely, stay not. away from them guys. <laughs> you gonna do uh, you gonna do juju on the beat then? The nah, the we, we ain't gonna hit the juju. We gonna we gonna stay away from <laughs> the juju. <laughs> Uh, nah, man, I'm, I'm going to just hit him with some fun stuff, man. It's like he said, some... You got to give me the name. Okay, okay. Get uh, Away by Big Crit off his new album. That's my okay. shit. Okay, Big Crit. Uh, what's the, what's the I'm one? just thinking about what's the same one song. The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want, you want to keep it at bay. You want to keep it at bay. Um, yeah, you got to go with some, you know, some... You got to send everybody off on a good positive note. Positive note, man. I think... Uh, I play some fella. Some, some, the, some the two, two. What's, how does, what's the song? I do Black, Black oh, Gangster. Oh, yeah, like... I want to see that twerk. You got to want to see that. Uh, so twerking, yeah, it's always. Hey, man, I specifically, specifically, we're going to err on the side of caution with Kendrick because it might stir some stir up the brothers. <laughs> yeah, play some, play, play all right. Oh, yeah, all right. I like that. I like got to keep right it. from Kendrick. All right, from Kendrick. How, how many, many more we got? Yeah, how many more we got? I feel like I've been throwing them at you. Oh, that's it. Y'all got to rename them because I know we got friends. We might have fucked the names up. We got all right from Kendrick. Uh, uh, that twerk song by uh, Black Black Youngsters is name. Okay. I, I just want to. I just like. I like to see it shake. That's I, that's okay. where I'm at. So all you right. can see what yeah, my yeah, mind yeah, is. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you know, see where my mind yeah, is. Yeah, I like, I like that. I like, I like, I like where you at. Right? Uh, I like that's where why you, you at. Lamb shop. What's, what's that? <laughs> Chocolate City. It's, it's like, oh, Monte, come up. There. Turns out that's what they call me now. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, uh, and I think you said something about Big Crit. Oh yep. yeah, get away. Uh, what's his okay, name? So y'all need one more. You got one more. Uh, thriller. It's like nah. Nah, you gotta you gotta <laughs> go you gotta go with some from the De- from some some Detroit some from Detroit local artists, man. Uh, keep it keep it at the crib. Some of them. Um. I, I think honestly, no, the you, the you T Grizzly that. song it, it oh, gets yeah. some, it gets some hype. It gets some hype, yeah. but they don't First get violent. We gotta play that out. We'll play that one early before we will play that one. If we gonna play all six in a row, we are gonna play that one early. towards the front end. Towards okay. the front end. Toward the front end. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you get it, you guys probably definitely as a duo make up the age of some of the some of the guests that have been here as the youngest. My youngest guest, the only, uh, the oldest song you guys have is Friends from Houdini. That was <laughs> that's my that's era, my friend. It's an old one, though. It's a classic. No, it's a classic. I'd have went One Love Houdini. One Love Houdini. But um, how do people get in contact with you? Uh, we on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Exchange Detroit. Instagram.com slash Exchange Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook. Okay. Exchange Detroit. The exchange. Okay. Is exchange. It's all Exchange Detroit. Yep. Whenever that works. you put the name, exchange, nice and easy, you spell it correctly. Okay, yeah. It's not yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, nope, a urban nope, nope, uh, hip hop version. No, it's like, straight up. Like, if you know how they spell Exchange, you know how to spell Detroit. Exchange mm-hmm. Detroit. We, we, we ain't going to be hard to find. It's going to be an X and a triangle. Got you. There we That's go. You know, you got us. Thank you so much. This was a good interview. Peace. Peace.
Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit. This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.